Miguel Aziz's first goal for Portsmouth. Into the path of Smithrow, into the box. Smithrow scores! A really deserved first goal in Huddersfield Town Colours. We are back, and I mean that in every way, shape, and form. Back from vacation, back with away from Hale End, and our Arsenal back in the race for top four. I mean, what an outrageous, outrageous match with Chelsea we just had. Absolute heartthrobber, end-to-end stuff, brilliant all around. And by brilliant, I mean quite sloppy from both sides and quite sloppy from the pitch, as we heard Tuchel say after the game. But wow, what a ridiculous match. What a huge win. And most importantly, wow, Saka taking that ball immediately and saying, this is my penalty. I'm putting this away. He is a leader at this age. He is a mentality king. That is the truth. That is what separates him from nearly any other product that has come from Hale End recently and from almost every other youngster in the world. These are the things you like to see from a player with generational talent, and I just can't wait to see what's next for him the rest of this season, the next season, at the World Cup. This kid does not back down from any fight whatsoever. He gets kicked week in and week out all season and comes back, and he just never ceases to amaze me. He has every bag of trips you could ask for, Wow. I mean, really, it was just honestly a little emotional to see him take that ball and stand up at the penalty spot and knock that home. Crucial penalty to put the game away. Obviously, the refereeing in that game was a disaster going both ways. John Moss is just a loser when it comes down to it. I mean, he mismanaged that game from the very first kick of the ball. For the most part, it really went Chelsea's way. I mean, Mason Mount could have had three or four yellow cards in that match, only came away with one at the end of the game when it appeared that John Moss wasn't going to give him yellow, and it looked like almost VAR intervened when they shouldn't have. Um, On top of that, Malang Saar already had a yellow. He then brings down Cedric, who's able to stay on his feet. Advantage is given. Obviously, what Cedric did after that was a disaster. But how has he not then received a second yellow card and been sent off. Martinelli got two yellow cards in the same action earlier this season. The refereeing is disgraceful. And then obviously, the penalty we received at the end of the match, probably not a penalty 99% of the time. Obviously, I see why VAR did not overturn it. With that much contact, there's no clear and obvious error. But a pretty horrific call by John Moss there as well. And the second goal Chelsea scored probably should have been taken back anyway, because Mount had a kick on White's shin, like pretty high up on his leg, uh, before sending that cross in. Meanwhile, John Moss, it's not news to anybody that he's a horrific referee. We move forward. That's that. Absolutely crucial three points. And from there, we move on to what we're really here for, and that is, obviously, our youngsters out on loan. And to start, Brooke Norton Cuffey puts in yet another studly, studly performance. Many of you probably saw me break it down on Twitter yesterday. Just kind of to recap what he did. He was just the most influential he's been maybe all season in a match. 8 of 13 ground goals won, 30 of 36 passing, 2 key passes, 2 completed crosses, 6 of 9 successful dribbles, and my favorite part is he showed a little bit of everything that he has in that match. He showed, obviously, that strength and pace he has with the ball at his feet that makes him so hard to mark. He showed his ability and range of passing. He had... I think twice switched the field to his opposite fullback 
and multiple times was able to do that thing where he cuts in on his left foot to break the press. He also put in endless amounts of amazing crosses. Yes, only two were completed, but easily, easily could have been more. He was just unbelievable bombing down that wing and overall just the entirety of their game plan for that match. It was an unfortunate 3-2 loss to Portsmouth. You know, Lincoln is a little bit sloppy in midfield, and they often are kind of taken on the counter with a sloppy pass here and there. But Brooke Norton Cuffey, wow, what a ridiculous performance by him. And as many of you know, I've been very concerned if he's going to grow defensively because that's what's going to allow him to play in a back four. And he really, really has. He has really learned how to be incredibly anticipatory and incredibly on top of reading the game instead of just letting it come to him and use his pace and strength to defend. Yes, those are excellent tools for a defender to have and can bring you to the elite level amongst the best in the world. But if you can't read the game and if you can't anticipate attackers and space and the ball, then you have no chance of being a world-class defender. And Brooke is starting to use his offensive intelligence on the defensive side of things. So he's able to now see if that was a space I would attack into, maybe that's a space that the opposing team is going to attack into, in which case he can then read how to play that ball and play the space. It's really, really good to see him learning that at such a young age. He has grown from where he was just a year ago to now is pretty crazy to think about. He was a regular in the U18 side a year ago, not even really broken into the U23 side. He ended last season breaking into the U23 side and starting in many consecutive matches before becoming a regular for the U23s at the beginning of this year and now arguably Lincoln's most crucial player uh, at the senior level. So Brooke Norton Cuffey, the, the ceiling is really, it's unbelievable. It's so, so, so fun to watch him play. And it's not every fullback you say that about. And when Arsenal, clearly, that's such a crucial part of their game. You've seen just missing Tomiyasu was major, now missing both Tomiyasu and Tierney. To have a product of this caliber in your youth system, and one that's pretty close to being ready to really contribute to Arsenal's first team, is just a real pleasure to have. And it seems like he's signing that contract, and it seems like Lincoln is really managing him well. Uh, he did not play the second match this week, which was just three days later, coming off that hamstring injury. From a week ago, I think they decided to just rest him. He wasn't in the squad at all. You do like to see that. You like to see a lone club protecting a player. Brooke has just so much incredible things ahead of him, and we're just going to keep watching him and, and enjoying it and seeing how he continues to progress. He's The last thing I'm going to say is for a defender, his ball striking is fantastic, and that's what allows him to have such a wide range of passing, and it's going to allow him to score quite a few goals, uh, especially when he's playing with players of higher level and players who really identify space the way he does. I'm excited to see him and Saka combine on that wing because I think that could be that could be really, really fun. It could be similar to you know watching Kyle Walker and Riyad Mahrez or, or Trent Alexander-Arnold and Mohamed Salah. It could really, really be fun to watch for years to come. A player who not necessarily having the same luck at the moment, someone who was really on fire just a few weeks ago, but now kind of cooled off a little bit, and a lot of it has to do with how his team is playing. That's Fuller and Balogun. It doesn't feel like Chris Wilder fully trusts in him right now, or I'm not sure exactly what's going on in training, or, or it could just be a matter of him preferring some other options off the bench, 
but he didn't get to play a lot over the last couple weeks. This week, just getting 37 total minutes in the two matches where Burrow drews 0-0 with Bournemouth and lost 2-0 to Huddersfield. And Burrow are in a real fight to try and get promoted here, and they were playing at their best when Balogun was playing 90 minutes or at least getting the start. So you have to wonder if Wilder will go back to him. He, You know, in the few minutes he played in, in the Bournemouth game, he only touched the ball twice and made one pass. You know, in eight minutes, that's actually not very much, especially when you're chasing the game and really trying to get a win and secure your chance at, at fighting for promotion in the playoff. Obviously, Bournemouth are in a similar situation. That match was quite cagey. Uh, moving to the Huddersfield match, you know, Balogun was a little more lively. He had a real chance to actually grow into the game. When you only play eight minutes, obviously, you don't really get a chance to get a feel for the game. But Huddersfield slat in a really low block, and Flo just kind of got stuck standing on that line with the last row of defense. He had one opportunity where the ball came to his feet in the box. He tried to turn and get a quick shot off. But again, low block, multiple defenders in the way, shot was blocked. Uh, but, you know, Flo, credit to him. He seems to still have the confidence. He seems to still be lively and p positive. And it's been a great experience. And we always knew goals were going to be hard to come by in Wilder system and both in the situation that Burrow are in. But we go again. I think you'll see Flo get back into the starting 11 as Burrow are winning more matches with him there than they are now. So that's just the situation. Reese Nelson, however, is another player who kind of is now cooled off after many great performances. Obviously, a little bit different than Balogun. Reese Nelson was flying as high as he could. You're not going to have that every week. It's impossible to keep that form up. And more importantly to him, in the match this week, Feyenoord beat Slavia Praha 3-1, advanced in the Conference League to the semifinals. Reese played 67 minutes, and for the most part, he found himself in 1v2, 1v3 situations the entirety of the time he was on the pitch. Slavia Praha was not going to let Reese dominate them the way he did in the week prior. And it really halted his influence on the match, and it allowed Sinistera on the other side of the pitch to absolutely cook. He had an excellent match, as well as Dessers, who scored two goals and was quite lively, and really found a lot of space in the right pocket behind the left center back, if you understand what I'm saying. Because there was so much focus on Reese Nelson, there was quite a bit of space between that left center back and left back. The left back was so close to Reese, it allowed Dessers to get free more often. And those are things that are not going to show up in the stat line. They're not going to show up at the end of the season. You're not going to say, oh, Reese really succeeded because his other players were able to find more space. But it's worth noting. It's worth understanding how the match was played, and that's what I'm here for. I was watching the match and, and simply saw what was going on. I expect Reese to find that space again when Feyenoord's next match happens in the Eredivisie. There's that's what that league is known for: wingers, technici um, technicians, and, and, and players who really are skillful with the ball at their feet. And that's why Reese has really found his form there. We'll see what happens in their next match. Feyenoord obviously fighting to get a European spot. Every match is huge for them, and I expect Reese to continue to hold that starting spot. It was not easy for him to come by to start the season. He got one start in the first half of the season in the Eredivisie. Now he is starting in every match at right wing, so that is great to see. That is what he needs. And again, a lot of questions about his Arsenal future will depend on where Arsenal finish in the table this year. Champions League versus Europa League, I think that will really decide if Reese gets a chance. We shall see. Daniel Ballard got two matches in this week, playing 90 minutes at both at right center back, 
And it's exactly as I've been saying that he needs to work on his distribution and it's gotten better every single week. I'm not going to say he's got Ben White type abilities. He doesn't. He's a lot more like Rob Holding. He's an absolute low block king. He's a dual warrior. I mean, in these two matches, he won 20 duels over two matches, 20 of 28 duels. That's just what he does. He is a fighter. He wins 50-50 balls. He brings high energy to every match. And that's why he has stayed in the side throughout the season for Millwall. Aside from the injury that he had, he has been in the side every single match. He's also quite talented at winning headers in the opposition's box. He won a header in both of these matches uh, off of a corner kick, one on target, one that set up uh, one of his teammates for a header on target. And that's another crucial thing that he brings to play. I really do think he's going to be an incredibly successful player in English football. He just has that ability to him. Uh, reminds me a little bit of Johnny Evans as well. He just seems like a seasoned veteran already for somebody of his age. He's incredibly disciplined. He reads the game in front of him. He does not allow things in behind him. I mean, that's hard to come by. You know, you watch someone like Harry Maguire, who is excellent in the right system. I feel the same way about Daniel Ballard. They're completely opposite players. Harry Maguire is a ball-playing center back. Daniel Ballard is not. But every center back needs the right system to fit for them. That is the way modern football is played. And Daniel Ballard's an old-fashioned player. He needs to be in an old-fashioned system, one where... Set pieces are a major way of scoring, and set piece defense is a major way of keeping goals out, right? Think about Burnley. They concede so many set pieces because of how physically they play, but they don't concede a lot of goals off of set pieces. Then think about Burnley again. They are so physical that they win a lot of set pieces and score off a lot of set pieces. That's the kind of play I see Daniel Ballard continuing to play moving forward. I do think Arsenal will look to sell him this summer as he's just got so much experience Another loan move doesn't make a whole lot of sense unless it's to a Premier League side, and at that point, I would think selling would be the best move. Meanwhile, Daniel Ballard made two key passes in, in this first match, and in the second match, he had what we like to call a hockey assist, where he hit a long ball up to a striker who was able to then poke it on to a winger who, who finished, and he was 5 of 9 on long balls in that match, and the, adding these things to his game is only going to make his value go up. It's already clear the kind of player that he is, and if he can offer that little bit of distribution that maybe someone of similar ability can't, that's the difference between having a successful senior career and, you know, kind of loitering in that championship area. I think Daniel Ballard is going to find some real success in a low, bottom-of-the-table, relegation-fighting club in the Premier League, and these two matches were just great examples of that, and I expect him to continue to do the same as the season wears on. And, and Millwall really also trying to scrap for that sixth-place position and, and, and fight for promotion. So who knows? Millwall find a way to go up. I think they're going to be calling Daniel Ballard's name uh, and giving Arsenal a ring and seeing what they can do to, to get him back in their side, whether that's on loan or you know maybe a small fee. Someone else who definitely needs another loan, and, and hopefully this time in the English uh, side of things, is Nikolai Moeller. He actually had quite a good game here, but not in a way that you would expect a striker to. He played 69 minutes in a 1-0 win over Zhang Utrecht. Uh, then Bosch scored within the first 30 seconds of the match uh, off of a mistake from Zhang Utrecht, and then the game kind of stalled from there. Uh, but Muller had one key pass. He was 2-of-2 two two on long balls. He won 6-of-9 duels, and he made four tackles. 
So those are not necessarily the numbers you expect to see from a striker. And that's because Mola really plays as a false nine in this system. And I really credit that to the selfishness of the wingers he's playing with. I watched this entire match and both wingers, anytime they fashioned a chance, it was because Mueller set them up on the wing and they just merely attacked their wing back and then shot from poor positions. When if they could have pulled the ball back, recycled it through their midfield or through their fullback, get it back through the middle, maybe get a better cross on, Mueller would have had some chances. You can't fault Mueller for the way he played in this match, although he did not get a shot on target. Often you do blame the striker for not being involved enough, but Mueller was involved. And he looked a little frustrated that he wasn't quite getting the chances that he was providing, if you understand what I'm saying. He was really being an orchestrator, but not getting the chance himself. And a striker is always going to be frustrated when that happens. He needs to get more chances in front of goal, and that is going to be the key for him next season. He needs to go to a side that plays with a single striker, a side that is cross-heavy, a side that is willing to take a risk on him, uh, I think that'll probably be a mid to lower side championship club. And I think he could bang 15 goals in, maybe get five or six assists. That's the kind of striker we're talking about here. But he's also so crucial in the link-up play that that's really where his influence comes. So we'll see what happens next season with Moeller. A loan to an English side is key. I'm hoping it's a championship side. He has the physical abilities to be there. It's a matter of testing his technical abilities and scoring abilities. And... I don't think you'll get a real test of that at League One. I think the championship would be a much better chance for that. Another player who's incredibly influential for their side, but one that confuses me every time I watch them, I really don't know what to say about Harry Clark. He is just such a rash player. He's so willy-nilly all over the place. What position does he even play? I don't know where he's best. I don't know what he can maintained positionally like he was absolutely everywhere on the pitch in this 2-1 loss to hearts in the scottish cup semi-final it was a massive match and a killer to hibbs but clark's such a confounding player like just even this season alone he has played at center back in a back four at right back in a back four at right wing back in a back five at left wing back in a back five and at left center back in a back five and i don't think he can play in almost any of those positions at a top level. I'm not even sure he can play at left wing back. He just is so all over the place, and it's great. He brings unbelievable energy. You cannot teach the energy that this kid has. It's just absolutely tireless. But he leaves his side exposed at times that it's just unforgivable. And he's just not great defensively because of his positional awareness and because he doesn't really anticipate anything he, he's so much better when the ball's at his feet which is obvious but he's amazing really when the ball is at his feet he, he does things that most defenders cannot do but to call him a defender may not be the right word because he's not very good at tackling he's not very good at winning duels I mean he can win ground duels because of his energy and he goes into 50 50s about as hard as anybody does but at the same time he picks up cards he goes in sometimes when he shouldn't go in for a ball. I don't know. It, it's very confusing. Meanwhile, this was not one of his best matches. He was tireless, and people were lauding him for that, and you love to see that in, in a game with your rival in a semifinal, 100%. But 
in a match where he's unable to provide a goal or an assist or even really fashion any major chances, his influence is questionable and it's going to prevent him from playing at the highest level. Obviously, these are things that can be learned and his entire career is in front of him and I think he has a lot of raw abilities. That's why he's gotten to the point where he is. But if he wants to take another step in his career past Hibbs, which I'm sure he does, he's going to need to get a little bit more concentrated and he's going to need to learn a position. And then from there, he can be used at many different positions. I think he's being used at so many different positions because coaches are having the same questions I'm having, which is where is he best and what can he actually play without costing our team because he can add quite a bit going forward. He is an incredible outlet going forward, but we shall see if he can provide enough on the opposite end of things where he can stay on the pitch for, for major matches and hopefully, you know, find himself at a bigger club eventually. Meanwhile, a real unfortunate loss for Agburnian. Uh, Harry Clark, again, as I said, was tireless. Uh, and we'll see what he does. We'll see if they continue to use him as a left wing back. I mean, even calling him a left wing back, yeah, that's where he is on the team sheet and where his starting position is. But you don't find the left wing back being your farthest forward player that often. And that really speaks to the way Harry Clark plays. Now, Matt Smith is a very different story. If you could take Harry Clark's energy, athleticism, endless running, even pace, I mean, to call Harry Clark pacey may be a strong way of putting it, but those physical qualities and put them into Matt Smith, you'd have one hell of a midfielder. Matt Smith has all the technical ability and IQ and vision to be a great midfielder, but just watching him at this level and seeing him struggle to keep up with players and, and keep up for the 90 minutes at times kind of just shows you what his ceiling really might be. I think he can be a championship-level midfielder. He's going to rack up assists in a side that has better finishing qualities and better, better final third actions. Um, but the more you watch Matt Smith and the more you watch Doncaster, it's kind of clear that his level is not of Arsenal. It's quite surprising because two years ago, I, I really thought he would advance more athletically and physically and you know maybe make a run into the team at some point, especially if we had European low-level European football or, or late cup runs. I mean, obviously he was on the bench for that FA Cup win, but that doesn't seem to be the case. Matt played two matches this week, 88 minutes in midfield and a 2-1 loss to Bolton. And this actually was probably his best match of the season. He was just wonderful with the ball. Absolutely wonderful. Progressive passing, picking out the most advanced runs when he had the chance. He was kind of everywhere on the pitch too, which is surprising for him. That's not usually the way he plays, but he was really great. 22 of 27 passing, three key passes, two big chances created. Keep in mind, he had no assist, two big chances created, five of six on long balls, a successful dribble, and a little unlucky not to score a goal himself. A rebound fell kindly to him, and he just lashed it a little bit wide of the post, really came in hard on it and, and just didn't keep his composure. But this was probably the best he's been at all season. He had, you know, the threaded through balls we're used to see him play. You know, he's splitting the defense, but his teammates were just lacking in quality in front of goal, and that's why he didn't end up with an assist, and that's why Doncaster are likely to be relegated. They just haven't been good in front of goal and haven't taken their chances, and you can't blame Matt Smith for Matt Smith for that. I mean, he he had a good match in this one, and you just chalk it up to to the ability around him. 
having said that, the match against Shrewsbury was a little bit different when Matt Smith had to show off his defensive qualities in a 3-3 draw. He was just asked to do much more defensively due to the, the shape of Shrewsbury and the way the match was going. Yes, Doncaster possessed the ball more in this match, but similarly to the way Lincoln play, Doncaster often get kind of outrun when they try to go forward sometimes, and, and Matt Smith was sometimes the furthest midfielder back, and he won 6 of 10 duels, 5 tackles, which has got to be the most he's had in a match this season. But he did have a key pass and a successful dribble, just not able to quite be that creative passer that he likes to be. He likes to play further forward, let's just be clear. This isn't where he likes to play. He likes to play a lot further forward, kind of take up that same space that Odegaard takes up for Arsenal. He likes to press, and he can win a tackle further up the pitch, but being the last man back winning tackles is, is not the player Matt Smith is, and I, I don't think this lone move was bad because of how many matches Matt Smith will have played, but the style of football they play, obviously different manager when they sent him there, just didn't it didn't work out the way Arsenal wanted it to, and it's going to result in Matt Smith leaving, leaving at the end of the year, and, and that's fine. That's what has to happen. We're not going to recoup much for him. I'd be surprised if there's anything for him, but you know, he'll sign somewhere else and his career will continue and I'll keep an eye on it because I've been, you know, watching him for so long and I, I hope the best for him. And, and it's great to see him getting all this experience. It, it really is. You can't, you can't fault him because he's really put it all on the line, especially this last few weeks. He's clearly showing off in a way he's trying to get himself a nice contract next year and, and a chance to continue playing football in England. So we will see what happens with him. And we will also see what happens with Jordi Osei Tutu. If you recall, last week I said he left the most recent match in a boot and crutches against Portsmouth. Seemed like he was maybe done for the season, knowing Jordy's injury history. And then all of a sudden the squad comes out for the match against Ipswich, and Jordy is starting at right wing back. They they went on to win the match 1-0. Uh, Jordy played 89 minutes, moved over to the left side after 20 minutes due to an injury to the left wing back. And that's when Jordy started to actually play much better. I've said this for the last few weeks now. I do think his best position is on the left side due to the way he's comfortable passing. He's not comfortable passing with his left foot. He is comfortable dribbling on his left foot, but he's not comfortable passing on his left foot, which allows him to be a pretty good left wing back, especially in a system with multiple strikers or, or in a system with multiple midfielders who are willing to take a more advanced position up. He had a pretty good game here. He was fouled twice. He won three of five ground duels. He was one of one on successful dribbles and, and completed all but four passes. Uh, he was also unlucky not to score a goal. A great chance fell to him, and he smashed the shot right at the goalie who, who parried it to the side, and his teammate Michael Smith fired it home for the winning goal. So, you know, Jordy doesn't get an assist for that, but he created that goal, and I can promise you almost every goal he's created this season has come from that left side. And both teams he has been loaned out to have preferred to play him on that left side. So they've seen the same thing I'm seeing, which is surprising because in previous loans he was really only used on that right side. So it's really interesting to see him make that shift, and I think that's probably where his career is headed. After such a great match, he was afforded the chance to start at left wing back against Burton three days later, and unfortunately after 33 minutes, he comes off injured with that same foot injury he left the game against Portsmouth with. Hopefully, again, it's not too serious. He left in a boot and crutches. Same thing he did against Portsmouth, but who knows, man? It's impossible with this guy to know. Sometimes he'll play 90 minutes, and all of a sudden you won't see him for months because he's got a hamstring injury. 
Sometimes he'll leave a match early on boot and crutches, and he'll be back five days later starting and playing 90 minutes. He's an incredibly confusing player for a multitude of reasons, but hopefully this is not the end of his season. It does feel like he has finally found a comfortable position for him, and one that's likely to get him a solid contract somewhere, championship, league one side, this summer. We shall see. A guy who can't find a position or a home or really anything at the moment, and obviously a player that has been brought up a lot in terms of questionable decisions that happened this January, Ainsley Maitland-Niles, really cannot get into the side for Mourinho. I mean, we know Mourinho is stubborn and many other words that I, I won't go into because I, let's just say I'm not his biggest fan, uh, but Maitland-Niles came on for the final eight minutes in a 4-0 win over Bodo Glimt in the Conference League that saw Roma progress. I uh, touched the ball once in eight minutes. I mean, the match was over when he came on. And then he sat on the bench for a 1-1 draw with Napoli. It would have probably been nice to have Maitland-Niles for this six months at Arsenal. We obviously have an incredibly small squad. I mean, you're seeing Hutchinson, Swanson, Ogwembo, Aziz, Marcelo Flores. I mean, the names go on and on of players who have made the bench just because we don't have the numbers. Like, they're making the bench, and that's fantastic. That's experience in itself. But... It's not like in these matches, everyone has been close. It doesn't feel like we're going to have any blowout wins going in that Arteta's going to give one of these guys, you know, their first experience for Arsenal. That just wouldn't make any sense. So it would have been nice probably to have Maitland-Niles as an option, especially to close out games. Somebody you could bring on with experience who's calm on the ball. Whatever. It's done. He's, you know, this is what his season's going to be like for the rest of the time at Roma, barring multiple injuries. He's not going to get a lot of experience. We'll see what happens for him this summer. You'd have to assume a permanent move away is 100% on the table. Just feels like, what will the move be? Will a Premier League club take a chance on him? Are they going to talk to him first, see if he's willing to play wing back? Does a club see him as a center midfielder? Feels like kind of like a Fulham signing, you know? Like, they always sign guys where it's like, does that really make sense for them? Like, their whole transfer policy is so strange, Fulham. I, this is a little bit of an aside, but... They go down to the championship and make a bunch of smart signings every year. Then they come up to the Premier League and like try to add these experienced players, but they don't really have a vision of what they're doing. I think Marco Silva will change that. He's a seasoned manager with experience and kind of knows how to build a squad and what he likes. So I do think that'll change this time. But obviously under Scott Parker, it was bizarre. And under the manager previous to that, I'm not going to try and pronounce his name. It was also bizarre. I mean, they brought in John Michael Seri, Zambo and Visa. They brought in Andre Sherla, Lucas Vieto. I mean, the random names, I could continue to go on with them. We'll, we'll see what happens for Maitland Niles, but my sneaky prediction is Fulham. Let's just somebody bookmark that. Let's see if that's what happens. Uh, and outside of that, Tyrese John Jules, Tim Akinola, Carl Hine, and Ryan Alabiosu, all still out injured, all still haven't featured. I think of those four, Carl Hine may be the only one who has a chance to still feature this year. I mean, I haven't heard anything about John Jules or Alabiosu. Uh, Akinola had surgery, and it looks like his season is over. So hopefully Carl Hine will get a chance because he was playing great, and it does feel like Redding is now probably safe. Maybe not, but still playing some crucial matches. So let's see what happens. But that's that. I know I said there might be a guest this week. We had some problems scheduling, but... Let's call it 90% sure we're going to have a guest next week. Not going to tell you who it is, but it should be a fun conversation. I know I would guess almost all of you follow him on Twitter. So I'll keep you posted on that. 
Thanks again for listening. Having a lot of fun doing this. Huge win for the Arsenal. United on the weekend. Let's get another win. Another three points. Maybe Tottenham will drop some points. Let's keep pushing forward. Champions League, please, on the horizon. Please. Arsenal getting our hopes up yet again. Who knows what will happen. But up the Arsenal. And we will talk to you next week.